This holiday season, coming to you from Walt Disney Pictures, comes a touching story of a mad scientist and his ninja clone. Cobra? Do you want to build a clone man? Let's make a ninja guy. I've got one in the straw. There might be more, but the real one's gone away. They used to be dead bodies, and now they're not. My boots are all tie high. Do you want to build a clone man? I really want a clone man. Go away, mind bender. Okay, die. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, the host of Talking Joe, busting out of a back-to-tank like a newly cloned ninja. Now, if you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details over at the website, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we will be talking about G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, issue 299, which was released on the 19th of October, 2022 and joining me as always to talk about it it's a real american tim tim how are you i'm well mark hello and hello listeners and uh we are following hot on the heels of our larry hammer episode which was released last week and if you only watched the YouTube version, then you missed out on a brand new <laughs> jingle from me that uh, started off the episode. Is that uh, is that a way of saying uh, a longer version of that song might have some copyright problems on YouTube? No, it's me editing and releasing the audio episode after I'd done the edit on the mm. video and also thinking that the video audience might be new to talking joe and slightly less tolerant of my singing <laughs> i i i think if you are worried that a new member of the audience would be turned off from our two hour talks about gi joe minutia because you are singing i think that's the least of our concerns <laughs> So there we go. Today we are talking about uh, issue 299. This issue was brought to us by writer Larry Hammer, artist S.L. Gallant, and ooh, contentious Rod Wiggum. Might return to that. Inks, uh, Maria Keane, and again, might return Andy Mashinsky. Colours, Jay Brown and George Roussos. Uh, letters, Neil Utake, editor, Riley Farmer, group editor, Tom Waltz, and research specialist, Diana Davis. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. What's happening on those things that they put on the front of these books? Okay, cover A is drawn by... Shannon Gallant and colored by Jay Brown. And it is the most unusual G.I. Joe cover in all of G.I. Joe covers. And 
That's saying something, since the previous issue was in contention for that superlative. The cover to 299A is a close-up of Cobra Casino Resorts stationery with the Cobra logo with the chips rather than the, the sort of coils on the top. And we're looking just past black gloved hands that are sort of one's holding a pencil. It is a pair of hands, right? It's Cobra Commander's hands. And so uh, this isn't um, literally a POV shot. We're not looking at this piece of paper um, actually from where Cobra Commander's eyeballs are. We're to the right. So this is sort of like, technically, this would be an over-the-shoulder shot. But emotionally, it is a POV shot. We're seeing what he sees. And uh, the background is just a little bit of wooden desk. So to the left of the main white piece of paper is a post-it that says pay cable bill, and to the right is a Cobra Casino chip. And the real star of this cover is all of these doodles that Cobra Commander in the story of this cover drew on this 8.5 by 11 piece of paper where he has in stick figure cartooned um, a bunch of Joe and Cobra characters and annotated them like the stick figure drawing of Cobra Commander has uh, next to it the word me with two exclamation marks and an underline and an arrow pointing back to him. And stick figure Cobra Commander is holding aloft a giant globe of the world. And there's uh, a handwritten annotation that says mine. So uh, Dr. Mindbender's there, Destro, Baroness, a bunch of Joes, uh, a vehicle, and everyone gets a uh, funny sort of nickname, and then there are some extra sort of bits here and there. And there is a uh, coffee ring on this uh, piece of paper. And <laughs> this is, you know, the previous cover was unusual because it was just uh, a couple of vehicles, and they weren't doing anything visually exciting, sort of in the story of the cover, like they're, you know, they're flying to the rescue and it's a dramatic uh, yellow sky behind them. This cover, uh, we don't see any people. It's, it's what Cobra Commander is doodling uh, when he's by himself or brainstorming or, I don't know, having a meeting and not paying attention. And sort of then the star of this becomes the jokes. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought we might take an extra minute because I'm still talking about cover A. Uh, perhaps I'm going to pass the mic back to you. Um, Mark, what is what are your favorite one or two sort of joke names or stick figures here on this cover? Okay, we've got an arrow pointing to Stalker and just above it, it says Apollo Cro crossed out. So I guess that's Apollo Creed. <laughs> Which, which is Cobra Commander being slightly racist. You know, like the black, <laughs> the, the black guy with the mustache. Yeah, there's also um, Geronim Nope um, being pointed at spirits. Which and I'm, I'm going to go... also slightly uh, off color. And I'm going to go a step further. Uh, Spirit has a tear under one of his eyes, which I think is a reference to this 1970s American television commercial uh, about not littering. And in the commercial, there is a Native American tearing up, looking at this uh, like wasteland of garbage. Uh, and of course, the, the funny, terrible footnote of that is that the actor who portrayed that person was not an indigenous Native American. Ooh. We've got uh, Lifeline being run over by a hiss tank. It says Flatline. 
there's Breaker lying dead uh, called Bro- Broked. <laughs> there's Cover Girl called Pinup Gal. Uh, there's uh, Poopie uh, pointing at Shipwreck, which is obviously Popeye. Gung Ho, Dumb Go, and uh, Dead Kick for uh, Quick Kick. Uh, there's also <laughs> there's also Baroness at the top, Hubba Hubba, uh, tied to the front of uh, a his tank, which is uh, a reference to uh, Civil War. So I find this interesting that um, uh, Cobra Commander in the story of this cover has drawn this stick figure Baroness who has the hots for Cobra Commander because there are, are six hearts around her head and she's looking at Cobra Commander. Um, so Hubba Hubba is Cobra Commander finding her attractive and the way he's drawn her she finds him desirable because he's powerful this is interesting to me because um the comic has never referred to cobra commander desiring the baroness Um, she may have been a pawn in the power games at the top level of cobra but this this is this is a, a an inadvertent coincidence but what this reminds me of is uh, Ron Friedman, who wrote the first 15 episodes of the 80s G.I. Joe cartoon, uh, on one of the uh, DVD bonus feature interviews from from the first DVD releases that were Rhino, um, not the not the Shout Factory ones. Uh, Ron, Frieden, Ron Friedman makes this reference to the love triangle between Destro, Cobra Commander, and the Baroness, which I never saw. And I couldn't, when I saw this interview, I couldn't, re- I couldn't figure out if Friedman was sort of misremembering or if it's something that he had sort of intended and didn't quite make it onto the script page, or if he's sort of implying it, but it sort of doesn't broadcast uh, in the episode because, you know, the business of action and, you know, chewing the scenery. Here's something else that Yorktown Joe pointed out to me about the covers. In the top left-hand corner of the cover, it says plan number 6060842. Now, I would normally Google something like that, obvious, but I forgot to. Uh, but uh, I was it was pointed out to me that that is a reference to a B-52 song. There is a song called 606842, the fourth track on the second side of the B-52 self-titled debut album. In the song, a woman named Tina finds the number 606842 written on a bathroom wall with the words, if you'd like a very nice time, just give this number a call. So this is a very funny and strange cover. And I'm going to guess this is like a very small minority of people's like favorite cover ever because it's so oddball. And several people's least favorite cover ever, because <laughs> this is like the anti-cover. Like, what is the sort of obvious G.I. Joe cover? Cool shot of Snake Eyes, cool shot of Baroness. You know, she's she's attractive. She's got her gun. You know, her hips are to one side. Or Snake Eyes is striking a cool pose or in an action pose. Background, optional. And then you have covers that, you know, tell stories with characters and vehicles, location, uh, like an a-, a literal sense of danger, you know, like Joes are climbing a mountain and like their grappling hook is coming loose or, you know, uh, the cover to special missions, is it, is it 17, 15, where um, Snake Eyes has crawled up on the dock and you're seeing past the the two guys that he's about to get. Um, and I, 
I think this cover is, uh, I think this is, okay, first of all, I don't think Hama sketched this, right? Famously, Hama sketched yeah. most of the G.I. Joe covers in the Marvel run and has done plenty for the IDW run. Um, I don't think he's doing these final, you know, 10 or 20 issues because I think if he was, they would be variant covers. So I'm going to say this cover was uh, editor Tom Waltz's idea or artist Shannon Gallant's idea. <laughs> and this is, this is this entirely invented. This is how I think the conversation goes. Hey, um, I had this idea for a funny cover. And <laughs> whether this issue sells well or not, because the cover pulls people in or they sort of walk right by it or they actively ignore it it doesn't matter because the book is ending a month later how about a weird funny like shoulder shrug hail mary cover yes so i find this cover um very funny and very strange and you know one of my and, and my test for a cover is at my store will it pull someone over to pick it up flip through it and like maybe buy the book. And I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, if this is like, what are the books that this is next to, you know, like what's it competing with this week? Do those have more eye popping covers? Um, but I very much appreciate the, the, you know, like it's the bottom of the ninth, the batter is at home plate, ready to take a swing. And he points to a home run beyond the stands. Will he make it? Cover B is uh, four out of five uh, in a connecting image uh, drawn by Jamie Sullivan with colors by Raul Angulo and Audrey Sullivan. And this is a bunch more Cobras. Um, behind them is a mountain. It's behind the logo. Uh, this cover focuses on mostly three groups, the Red Shadows, Python Patrol, nice, and uh, some Arctic uh, guy, I guess it's a mix of Arctic guys. There's a gyro viper and two strata vipers. Um, in the air above them are a bunch of um, Destro's uh, APGs, AGPs, anti-gravity pods. Mm -hmm. And there's a demon in the back with ferret. Uh, Mark, is, is ferret one guy or is are there many, many ferrets? Uh, I imagined that to be uh, a troop. Okay. And Mark, I know the answer to this because I bought this guy special at JoeCon a couple years ago because he's such a cool oddball. Who's the weird guy on this cover? There are two of them with the little satellite dish on his head. That is Mouton. So he's one of the red shadows, a sort of like a kind of a crazy oversized robot guy, which was a, a repurposing of a uh, what was originally a diver. Paint it red stick a satellite on his forehead and bang you've got a, a crazy robot guy this is from that era of action force when they still didn't have elbow and knee joints right exactly yeah the limited uh, articulation action force toys being uh, made by Palitoy. okay and then three more guys i'm hoping you can call out for our fans who don't know british gi joe who's the guy in the front with the monocle i think that is meant to be the black major who has appeared in uh real american here and now so so did what, Mouton? Yeah, so did Mouton. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Who's the guy in the center with the white? That is Baron Ironblood. Who... Oh, didn't we didn't we talk about him when we spoke to uh, Freddie Williams the second? That's right. Yeah, there? yeah. He appeared in what's it called? First Strike. First Strike. The crossover in the other continuity. And then who's this red Cobra Commander with a sword? 
I think that is probably meant to be red laser, but there could be another crazy variant that I'm not familiar with. Okay. And then uh, cover uh, RI, retailer incentive, uh, stores could order one of these for every 10 of uh, A and or B that they ordered. This is drawn by John Royal and Jagish Kumar with colors by James O'Frady. This is uh, Cobra Commander holding a big golden staff uh, with one arm up dramatically. He's got a flowing cape behind him that's black on the outside and red on the inside. Um, behind him, above his head, is the Cobra logo behind the G.I. Joe logo type. And then all around him are a bunch of Cobra heads, some a little bigger, some a little smaller. And uh, this is where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John Royal just got to draw sort of whichever Cobra characters he wanted to. Yeah. I am pleased to see uh, Crocmaster and uh, an Undertow. Yeah. And I That's am... probably the most random character there. Uh, there are three Viper, uh, excuse me, there are three Cobra bat heads. I am intrigued and not pleased to see Zanya. <laughs> To see Zanya's head, and this is uh, Zartan's daughter from the Devil's Due continuity, and uh, she has been in one or two other uh, variant covers of the Hama continued Real American Hero run. Yeah, John Royal had her on a, a variant cover, and I think she appeared once on the interiors in Snake Hunt. Right. And then was she also like two issues ago in this big Jamie Sullivan connecting cover? Is she there Ooh. with all the dreadnoughts? I do not know without going back and checking. Yes, I, I have a bunch of two ninety nine in front of me, but I, I don't have any earlier issues at arm's reach. Um this this uh this cover is uh it's fun and bright and pretty, and I like it. <laughs> e even if even if generally um like Amazing Spider Man three sixty three which is part three of Carnage, the story that introduces Carnage from spring of 92. I think that comic came out the same day, same week as Youngblood number one. Uh, that cover is just Spider-Man's head and Venom's head and Carnage's head with a light green background. And at the time, I remember thinking, or someone said so to me soon after, oh, that's the cover you get when the artist doesn't know what to draw. Mm. And I don't think that's what's happening here with 299, but I do prefer some acting or character interaction over uh, floating heads. But yeah. second to last issue, whatever is on the cover is not going to hurt sales because there's only one more issue. And it's a nice looking cover and it's a companion piece to 300 where where it's a, a G.I. Joe uh, character equivalent. Yes. Um, and John Royal said that, that he his inspiration was some of the, the classic Marvel covers where, where there's kind of lots of floating heads in the background. There's... There's a few Spider-Man uh, issues like that, but the one that he had specifically in mind was Fantastic Four issues 262, Trial of Reed Richards, where he's on the front cover in chains with uh, lots and lots of uh, Fantastic Four characters, uh, heads in the floating in the background, all in red. And he did envis envisage this cover as being Cobra Commander in colour, uh, all of the other characters sort of knocked out in in red, and and he actually got the the colorist to to work up a version of of that. My favorite Marvel cover with a prominent character in the foreground and a bunch of floating heads behind them is 
uh, Carlos Pacheco's cover for Avengers Forever Number One from 1998, because uh, Pacheco draws all of the heads behind the main character in the front in three-point perspective, which Pacheco does all the time. Pacheco always makes things harder for himself, and it's <laughs> so glorious and awesome looking. Uh, what's the? Oh, my final thought about uh, uh, Royal's cover for issue 299 is that sort of funny enough, Serpentor, he's one of the heads on this cover. And, uh, you know, certainly this cover is out of continuity. It's just an image. It's just a drawing, right? Zanya's there. Uh, and we have seen Serpentor very recently on a on a cover where the story is sort of about Serpentor, but not. It turns out Serpentor, Serpentor. But here's Serpentor, Serpentor. Mm-hmm. So cover's done. Let's find out what happened on the inside with a plot breakdown. In Dr. Mindbender's lab on Cobra Island, Serpentor Khan has seized control of Cobra after duffing up the head snake. Cobra Commander is locked in a cell with Dawn, who schemes to escape using the explosives that he has in his helmet. Serpentor defends the casino from the approaching Joes with the casino guests as human shields. In the face of collateral damage from said human shield, Duke orders the Joes to pull back and circle overhead in the C-130. Serpentor allows Dr. Mindbender to continue his experiments and asks that more famous warriors from the past are revived and also to be shown his weaponry. He gets to see Mindbender's mutant zombie virus bomb, a device that can turn people into compliant mutant zombies. However, Laura has finally shown her true colours and turns on Mindbender and rescues Sean from the brainwave scanner. Later, in the jungle, Sean bumps into his dad, Wade Collins, and Storm Shadow. In a firefight with Vipers, Wade is shot. Sean and Laura continue on while Storm Shadow stays behind with Wade. Mindbender is freed from captivity by Jeffrey the Techno Viper and he reveals his backup plans, a clone of Snake Eyes that he had prepared earlier, placing the homunculus body into the green goop tube while he runs a data transfer to restore his memories. Later, left unattended, the homunculus Snake Eyes breaks the glass of his back to tank and emerges, picking up a sword. To be continued in issue 300! Uh, shall we start with uh, something positive? Let's do it. Well, I done read a heck of a lot of comics. Some of them are great. The team are all on it. But some are a bit cack. They really are whack. Before the nitpicks come out, I'm giving it my bestest And nothing's gonna stop me from trying to be positive So I'll pause my scorn To put up two thumbs And turn my frown upside down Take advice, it cannot wait Say something nice
page one, uh, Genghis Khan, uh, uh, Genghis uh, Serpentor Khan. <laughs> Serpentor Khan looks great in the Serpentor costume uh, with, with the beard and the mustache and the flowing hair. Uh, looks great. I've always loved the Serpentor design, and I never thought we'd see someone else wear it, some other person or clone, and I certainly didn't think they would have dark hair. Uh, this first page, exciting and uh, dramatic and worrisome, right? You're, we're reminded that Cobra Commander has taken a punch to the face because his uh, faceplate is cracked, and He's in a subordinate position and he's yelling, shoot him. And then the second panel, much smaller on the bottom, is Mindbender, uh, Jeffrey, the Techno Viper, uh, two alley vipers, a viper, and Laura surprised and and worried or intimidated and no dialogue. Uh, It's a good, powerful first page only thing that make me like it more is if there were credits handwritten across the mm-hmm. bottom and a title uh across the top indeed and then something else uh since we're just in the earliest pages of this issue something else that i really like and it's a small thing on page three the second panel is another example of shannon gallant doing something really great and it's not flashy and you don't get any points for doing this. Uh, and that is a very clear storytelling panel showing characters moving from one space to another space. Serpentor Khan is leading some of these vipers out of the lab back into the hallway. And Gallant has put the camera on the ground, but aiming up. So we see these full bodies. They're small. We see the ceiling and pipes and those uh, metal things that keep the pipes sort of hanging from the ceiling. And Gallant does this a couple times in this issue, and he's always aware of the ceiling, whether we're in it looking down past some like silhouetted fluorescent lights or like a ceiling fan. And this is a small thing, and plenty of artists could drop this or not think of this, and the story would still be told visually well. But Gallant is drawing this panel in three point perspective which he doesn't have to do. That's a little harder, takes a little longer. And Serpentorcon is saying, follow me and I will uh, set up the defensive line. And I saw that panel and I thought, yes, yes, remind me that we're in like a basement or a... Yeah, my positive, I guess, is that uh, I was really looking forward to seeing this issue. I was, um, yeah, a lot of anticipation uh, to see to see what it, it, it would bring. Uh, it moves along at a very brisk pace they fit in an awful lot and and often is as the way when i come to write the plot briefing it's only then that i realize quite how much has been crammed into a, a single issue of 20 pages or so and and yeah it's, it starts getting a little bit nuts but but i'm on board with the with the crazy that that's fine and um yeah really intrigued as to to how how they're going to wrap all of this up if at all <laughs> come the next issue because uh, there seems to be, you know, so much uh, still in the air, and in some cases, quite literally, uh, a big aeroplane full of uh, uh, Joes. So I also felt like there's a lot happening in this issue, and I'm anxious about there being enough space in the next issue to satisfyingly wrap up everything. And I have realized 
that issue 300 won't satisfyingly wrap up everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember, did Hama say this to me in March? He was in town. He was in Boston. I think it was March for a convention. And uh, we we chatted and I asked him about 300 and I wasn't looking for spoilers, but I was sort of asking about like his general thoughts. And uh, he may have said this or this may be, may be me in maturity understanding that you can't always get what you want. But, y- you know, how often in a final issue of a comic does everything get wrapped up? And so maybe the trick, you know, separate from in a couple of months, there'll be a 301. We are 100% sure. Mm-hmm. So... You know, if there was some like subplot from like 15 issues ago where, you know, Spirit Iron Knife and like Gung Ho have a chat at the pit and it's like, oh, that might get picked up later. It's like, that's definitely not showing up in the next issue. Um, What I want is, is the main stuff to get wrapped up. You know, like previously I've thought that we're not going to see Blue Ninjas after 300. And now I'm not so sure. And also, if we were to see them again, I know people don't love them, but narratively that might be okay because is there enough time in 300 to take care of that subplot and to do so really satisfyingly because the the scale of the the problem that alpha 001 represents and how powerful these these characters are and how much they've infiltrated all of these different anyway so um here's here's what threw me off with this issue okay so i was really excited when on page three uh, Serpentor Khan says, gather all of the civilians. We're using them as kidnap victim- victims. They're all human shields now. And I thought, oh, yikes, that's really worrisome. And I also thought, oh, good. I was hoping this would happen because that that's the suggestion. If there's going to be an attack on Cobra Island and there are all these civilians there, like surely someone in Cobra will use that viciously to their advantage. So I'm glad someone's calling it out. And then it's cool when Duke realizes what's going on when he's looking through his binoculars later. And then here's one more little thing that I like. Two pages after Serpentor Rex says that, we see a panel where a whole bunch of uh, civilians have been gathered on the balcony of the casino, and there are a whole bunch of vipers and night vipers lined up, aiming their weapons at them. And Serpentor Rex is explaining, make sure the casino patrons are clearly visible from the tree line. And I thought when I saw this panel, oh, this is the panel that was sort of most sacrificed in this issue, where this issue was probably drawn with a really tough deadline because, you know, they're running out of time. And maybe this book's always behind schedule. And maybe in a different version of this issue where Gallant has more time or we're not hurtling towards a final issue. There'd be a couple more panels where one of the civilians like back talks or someone like makes a joke. It's like, oh, but I was on a winning streak. And I can see Hama swooping in for that. And there's here's this panel with like a hundred little like, uh, actually Hama's script probably refers to this as uh, Joe Kubert clothespin people, right? It's like, this is, this is the angle. This is the amount of detail, right? This is that kind of crowd scene. Um, and so I saw this panel and I thought, okay, there's not a lot of like love and care given to this panel because it's a hard panel to draw because there's so much in it. And I think Gallant like swooped in, drew what he needed to, Maria Keen swoops in, inks what needs to get inked, and then like move on. At the same time, 
this panel is quite clear. And at one point, you need to draw like one panel to show a bunch of people. And so uh, someone once said to me, um, when talking about like the best you can do, you know, like if an, if an artist is apologizing for something or if they're embarrassed by their work and they say something like, well, I didn't do my best. And so this person once said to me, uh, your best is actually what you can do in the amount of time you're given. Mm-hmm. And you can't worry about this like philosophical notion of your best if you had more time, if you had infinite time, because you'll never have more time or infinite time. And I see this panel and I think, okay, someone like Gallant, when granted less time than normal or the like stress and pressure of like we're finishing up this book make it special is clicking into really good instincts honed from like being a good artist working under deadline and like being a professional and making deadlines and so i see this kind of panel as as a compromise yes but a good compromise mm-hmm. um the thing that threw me off is when duke says we're leaving because i thought no i need more joes on the island for the big fight in 300 because isn't isn't 300 going to be like 50 the battle of springfield and duke actually says we're gonna pull back and negotiate and i thought no (laughs) no that's it feels like that scene in snake hunt when all of the joes and all the vehicles get called out and i'm like yes you're all heading to springfield Springfield, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, thank you. And is it Hawk says, no, everyone go back inside. Mission's canceled. And I thought, <laughs> I, I thought, they don't oh. even get, <laughs> they don't get even get their, their vehicles off of the back of the flat loaders, do they? <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember that, that scene like really bummed me out because you get this, this exciting, you know, we all sort of fantasized like, what would it be like if I had every toy? If I had every action figure and every vehicle for the year or for the whole line, maybe you'd have a G.I. Joe toy game where you're like, okay, this one time I'm going to use all of them, even the figure I don't like or the vehicle that's a little broken or the vehicle I don't know what to do with because it's too specialized. And so we get this scene in the comic and it's it's not I don't think Hama wrote it necessarily as like patting all the fans on the back like, hey, you like everything? Here's everything. I think he wrote it because he'd created this like challenge for himself in the story to include everyone, everything. And then I think Hama sort of being realistic, it's like, oh, actually this mission would get canceled. Like this is totally not acceptable. And then the the fun is that they're going to sort of do it anyway. And then they like rent those buses, right? Which is like not a fun, sexy, dramatic visual. But as a storytelling thing, it's like, oh, that's actually smarter, right? It's like, okay, I, I want to see a cover where like Batman is like, on a gargoyle at night in the rain. And it's like a very big, sexy drawing of Batman lit by lightning. It's like, that actually might not be what the story calls for. The story might be like, I don't know, a much yeah, smaller Batman, Batman. Should Batman should get on a bus somewhere. And when he gets, <laughs> by the time he gets there, everything's over and he just has to go home again. Okay, so the way that you just uh, reminded me in your plot breakdown that Duke calls them off because, I mean, he says, uh, we're, a, he says we're a rating party, right? We're a raiding yeah. party, not a, not a, not a full frontal attack force, and we can't risk uh, civilians. So I am certain that in the next issue, the Joes and the C-130 are gonna like, turn back around, or parachute out, or jump jetpack out, or something. But that's that scene did pull the wind out of my sails. But I think mm-hmm. Hama does that a lot because 
I think in the military and in any sort of system, like at the construction site, you know, or like in line, like before the sale starts on Black Friday, like there are hiccups and someone's like, okay, half of our shopping carts are broken. So we're actually only letting in 10 people at a time for Black Friday. And you, and you don't, and you don't get what you want. This, this, you know, this plot point of them sort of making a big deal of landing the C-130, getting out, exploding all of those asps and, and whatnot and then coming out and then they're like well okay we can't do anything now let's let's get back on the plane and fly off again a lot of people be like oh man but you know the explanation given in the dialogue it's it's not exciting but it's quite sound you know he says mm. we are a raiding party no way we could hold off concentrated attack from organized ground forces you know there is like what 10 joes there they've got three vehicles and they're in a plane that doesn't have any armament capabilities so you know that makes perfect sense they're on the the cobra cobra island full of cobras like an army full of cobras and um undoubtedly you know lots of tanks and, and various cobra vehicles and stuff it makes sense they they can't defeat an entire cobra army with with what they've got they can surprise them enough that they can do do some damage and you know you know somehow finagle a way to land for a short period to to scoop up some people but but yeah they can't they can't actually hold off and sort of maintain ownership of that that airstrip. Sometimes I forget because then on the next page, Snake Eyes, uh, excuse me, Throwdown single handedly takes out like twelve vipers. <laughs> yep. And so I I sometimes forget that the Joes aren't invincible and they're they're not all like super super fighters. Um, there's the scene with um, Dawn and Cobra Commander is great. Uh, that first panel where he gets thrown in uh, to the whole holding cell. So this is page five. And this panel of the Viper shoving Cobra Commander into this room. Again, this is not in terms of like raw drawing. This is not the most like detailed thing that Gallant has drawn. This does look like he's he's efficiently getting through every page and, you know, rushing. It sounds like a, a judgment call and I don't want to say rushing it, but the Viper's pose like that contrapposto and then cover commander's pose where he's off balance and catching himself. And the panel is at a Dutch angle and cover commander's uh, cape is flowing, right? Like gallants acting and poses. Great. Okay. So then you've got this, Next panel where Dawn is sort of resigned herself, right? And she and Cobra Commander have this exchange and it's it's great. But I wondered if Cobra Commander would sort of recognize her and be upset. So I wanted to ask you, Mark, in the last mm, 10 or 20 issues, well, I guess she, she got the costume in two, 245 or 246, do we no longer need Cobra Commander to see her and say something like, ugh, you're that Cobra youth cadet who betrayed us and went to the Joes. Mm. Has that already happened? Or Cobra Commander actually sort of doesn't know all the Joes because he, se separate from the cover where he's like drawing them on stationary, does he sort of not know all the Joes because they're they're beneath them and he it's like no i'm just gonna kill all the joes it doesn't matter who's who it's like i know i know the one in black who threatened me with a knife uh i know duke i know scarlet i know apollo creed um <laughs> does he actually sort of not recognize dawn is it sort of not worth the time in an issue that's got to cram a bunch in like this is that note of him like ah you mm. 
or have we already actually had sort of that that note 20 yeah, issues ago yeah I maybe remember. i feel like maybe maybe that note's been hit yeah last time they encountered each other perhaps but yeah it's yeah i mean maybe maybe there that maybe there could have been a beat there like even oh, even you again yes oh it's you even smallest bit there's a panel in the uh, cobra commander dawn sequence it's on page 11 when they're, they're next talking about it and, and she's asking him about uh, whether he's got explosives still in his helmet um i was thinking that that sort of we're we're seeing a lot less of kind of some of the the flashiness in maria Keane's inks that um that we saw in the in the earlier issues we sort of you know stopped to pause on kind of those zipper tone of effects that she was uh, applying it seems I mean I'm sure she's under a lot of time pressure like the rest of the the art team and so there seems to be less flashy effects but there's a panel on page panel three page uh, 11. Yeah I think um, anytime the art in this book is less detailed or sort of less icing on the cake but there's still the cake I just sort of happily shrug my shoulders and think back to plenty of marvel issues where it's a fill-in artist and either it's like rushed and not good looking you know like i remember being really disappointed by the uh like 141 and 142 the the second half of the transformers crossover back in 92 because you know the artists were dropping out and had to just find someone it's like you're a warm body you can hold a pencil <laughs> um and yet some of it was good enough and some of it was or sort of other issues just along the way where, you know, it's between one artist's regular run and another artist's regular run. And for six issues, it's like three or four different people. And, you know, at, at in Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief at Marvel in the 80s. And at Shooter's Marvel, the trains ran on time. And so, you know, if if a, if a book is behind schedule... And, and Hama has an amazing story about uh, a graphic novel that he was editing... Uh, with the shadow, um, the, the character who has the hat and the coat and the two guns and the mask, the shadow, the the deadline was up and just whoever was available to color that thing, just like colored it. Like there was the guy who'd colored half it really well and then everyone else just showed up to color it. Sort of doesn't matter if it's great or not. Like we have to like send this to the printer. And, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, in the 70s and 80s at Marvel, sometimes a book would be credited to the Krusty Bunkers or M Hands for many hands, or sometimes that was the letterer. You know, it's like this book's behind schedule. Someone's going to pencil the first half of it. Someone's going to pencil the second half of it. We'll have these six or seven or eight people ink it. And uh, it's not it's not consistent. And what I like about issue 299 of G.I. Joe is that it's all consistent. You know, it, it, it's not as if gallant and keen drew the first three pages and they are like filled with detail and flourishes and then the final pages all the backgrounds drop out and there's no uh like shading or or spotting of blacks in the ink the whole thing looks consistent and i really appreciate that and again there are lesser artists who might like drop out all backgrounds and have a bunch of like close-ups and rely more on the dialogue to patch some of the missing story that's not in the visuals and it's all here. Mm-hmm. It's all there. There's only one panel which sort of makes made me go, ooh, not sure quite what happened there. And that's on page three where Laura is pointing uh, pointing that pistol at Mindbender. It's a great shot of Laura 
Dr. Mindbender's cheek flowing into his moustache just feels a little bit wonky. But And this panel of Laura pointing a pistol at Mindbender on page three, there is no background, but it is after three panels with backgrounds. And it's only a moment after the previous panel. And so I would love one more background there, but I don't think it's asking too much of the reader to sort of meet them halfway. You know, it's like, nope, they're still in the lab. All that stuff's still behind them. And you could make the argument that Gallant drops out the background because this moment is just between the two of them. And it's not about throwdown strapped into the chair, which we might see a little of on the bottom left of this panel. It's not about the other stuff, you know, 10 feet in the distance or like the, the, the fluorescent lights up in the ceiling. You know, like my, my favorite example for this kind of thing is in Doonesbury, the comic strip Doonesbury by Gary Trudeau, uh, where one out of every like four panels is always two silhouettes talking to each other, both in the Sundays that are in color and the dailies. I guess the dailies are in color now too. But, you know, you have these three or four panels in a daily and it's like two characters talking about politics and one of them is always no background and the two characters are knocked out in black or maybe vice maybe vice versa the backs the backgrounds in black and the two characters are a white silhouette and that is both a like graphical design choice to create variety and also a time-saving step so talk about this uh red wiggum flashback yeah good one i actually i had this as an error detected um because it it's credited to uh, Rod Wiggum. It's from issue 36. And issue 36 was divided up into sort of three main art teams and three different sequences. There's Rod Wiggum, where Cutter is on the Jane out at sea. There's Larry Hammer sequences of Snake Eyes and Scarlet on the ferry. And there's uh, the MD Bright sequences on the whale. And given that this is a sequence uh, from the uh, ferry, I think that this is a Larry Hammer uh, penciled page or or more specifically uh, Larry Hammer breakdowns with probably Bob Camp um, doing the finishes over the top of him. All right. Wiggum, yeah. Wiggum is doing Cutter. Bright is doing Snowjob and Torpedo. Yeah. Mama's doing... Hey, it's that page that I own. Neat. <laughs> Which one's that? <laughs> uh, page six. I own page six. six. The one with the uh, the whale? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. The, the next page on, I think you can see Hammer's style coming through a lot more strongly. Fascinating. That is a good call, and I am going to agree with you. These are not Rod Wiggum. Wiggum did the uh, one of the other scenes in this issue. So I opened up 299 and I saw in the credits Gallant and Rod Wiggum page 13 flashback and I thought oh yes they got Wiggum in to do one page in the second to last issue new art uh, the way that uh, Nitho Diaz did three pages you know like two issues ago when Andrew Lee Griffith was doing a fill in and because, you know, they're running out of time and one page saves Gallant a day or half a day and Wiggum's still out there. And he did covers early on for the IDW run. And we're dealing with Snake Eyes and memories and 
cloning and why not? Yes, I got so excited. And then this is all like in one <laughs> second, I got very excited. And then I looked down and I saw that uh, the inking flashback is credited to Andy Mushinsky. And certainly if you're going to hire Rod Wiggum in 2022, and I don't actually think Wiggum would would do one page for the current series. I think he's doing other work. And I think if he was going to come back to G.I. Joe, he would have done it already um, again. And if this is Mushinsky, like you, you are certainly not going to, if you can convince like one of the original pencilers to come back for one page now at not a good page rate, probably on a terrible deadline. You're certainly not going to try and get the original inker to join them if the original inker is still even out there working. And then I realized, oh, this is going to be a full page from an old issue. Well, you know, certainly IDW has access to those files because they've done the classic reprints. Then I thought, oh, no, it's it's a whole page. I'm getting one less new page in this second to last issue where every page, you know, is so valuable, such valuable real estate. And then I thought, OK, this is all before this is all just looking at the credits before I've even read page one. And then I thought, OK, well, it's going to be a full old page and Hama will have done new narration or dialogue for it because Mindbender and cloning and Snake Eyes and Dawn's memories, something like, okay, this will be cool. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm turning the page and I'm thinking, have I gotten to page 13 yet? And I turn the page and then I get there and I see these two panels and I think, oh, those look great. I sure wish the whole book was colored like this. Notice how there's, <laughs> notice how there's noise. There mm-hmm. is there's um it, it's not fuzz but let's use the wrong word for it there's like fuzz there's like grain there's dirt sort of in the white of the background in in the sort of caucasian of their um complexions and the all the colors have been dulled down it's like there's a a light gray over everything right and i think one of the things that sort of hurts the idw series is that on this pure white saturated g- glowing glossy paper the color and the saturation of printing are like too much. They're too loud. And you couldn't actually print this book on newsprint because newsprint isn't available or is more expensive in glossy paper. But you could color this with less saturation. You could color this with like an embedded grain. You know, look at how Tom Scioli colors Transformers versus G.I. Joe. Look at how some of the Transformers books are colored. Anyway. So these two panels made me excited because it's like, oh, cool, old art. I love that old art. And then it made me sad because it's not this full page or this new old full page. And also the comparison to me isn't flattering because I like this this treatment of of color uh, more. And then I thought, all right, Tim, you're getting you're getting awfully worked up over two panels. It's still your favorite comic and it's your second to last issue. So <laughs> get your head back in the game and enjoy this. And then I thought, okay, I'm enjoying how this is being used in context where Mindbender and the Techno Viper are doing this sort of unholy experiment and Mindbender is is seeing this on his on his computer monitor. And then I was also reminded, then you know, then I thought, wait, is this too futuristic? And I thought, no, 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 we've like seen Snake Eyes' memories before, you know, in yearbook three, in uh 91 we've in someone else we went into their memories into their brain like like a like you're on a movie set you know when the dreadnoughts go in and mess around clutches memories so no it is not too futuristic or sci-fi uh to see this and then i thought oh i have to ask mark about this uh the panel before the two flashback panels 
on Mindbender's monitor. What are we looking at? We are looking at uh, Storm Shadow. I think it's probably meant to be the end of issue 21 because it, it looks like um, it looks like the wrist covering is sort of coming away, just much like the end of uh, issue 21. So what are the what are the legs and feet in front of Storm Shadow? <laughs> That's a good point. What is it? <laughs> is this is this sort of two memories overlapping? Is this like point of view? Like we're snake eyes, we're lying on a table, we're looking down at our feet, and then seeing the memory of Storm Shadow from the end of twenty one. I I would love to know what um what Hamas plot specifically calls for in this panel because you're you must be right certainly the way that storm shadows uh sleeve is unraveling that that says the end of issue 21 uh-huh here we go so towards the end of issue 21 there is that uh the sequence where storm shadow and a red ninja are waiting on the top of the stairs and storm shadow uh, sorry snake eyes grabs one of the red ninjas pulls him in front of storm shadow who slices his back then he does a flip this is the page that was done so well by rob liefeld in the 40th anniversary cover version uh he does a flip and then lands feet down on top of storm shadow and kind of knocks him to the ground and then he runs away to um to the back of the castle to be rescued by snake eyes so i think that panel on the screen is a recreation of snake eyes stomping down on Storm Shadow with both feet uh, as he knocks him down and um, oh. and has and has one of his yeah, bandages on his arm sort of flying away that completely tallies with it and he also has a sword in his hand when he's doing it as well so it is that panel from Snake Eyes viewpoint that's uh, that's great should we talk about should we talk about the <laughs> should we talk about the elephant in the room or the Snake Eyes in the drawer I think we should I think we should save that for last. I think we should talk about Laura. We should talk about Wade. Okay. So Laura is is a good guy now, or is just trying to get off the island because it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. We 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 weren't sure if if this would come to pass. I'm satisfied that it is coming to pass. And uh I, I really love it when someone can sort of knock Dr. Mindbender down. <laughs> And tie and hog tie him. I, I I meant sort of emotionally, but yes, <laughs> yes. I would love it if Laura sort of leaves the story after issue three hundred, because realistically, if you're in Cobra and you leave Cobra, you don't necessarily become a Joe, right? Sort of like, you know that that makes for a very small universe, and it has already happened with uh, Dawn, and. In, you know, in theory, it happens with Mercer. But what would realistically... And Storm Shadow-ish. Sorry? And Storm Shadow-ish. Uh, yeah, right. There you, there you go. And and Billy. Um, right. So, <laughs> so, uh, it, and Wade. Uh, right. So I understand yeah. that this is a story and this is fiction. And what it sort of starts to remind me of is uh, the the Arrowverse, the, the, uh, the Green Arrow show and Flash and et cetera on the CW, where like you watch a bunch of episodes of Arrow... And like everything is done by three police officers. <laughs> like it doesn't matter what part of the city that they're in or, you know, like whether it's like daytime or nighttime, 
if like someone needs to guard the mayor, if like they need help, uh, like raiding a, a warehouse of uh, of bad guys, if like one cop is going to be like blackmailed, like oh, it's going to be that one cop who's like related to the main character because the universe is actually quite small, and you watch a bigger and more sophisticated like police drama, and it's like oh no, they're like different shifts you know, like this police officer is only in in the morning and like takes over for the overnight shift and um there are like different precincts and there are different uh like levels of of seniority you know and like some of these cops have to go report to like the mayor and so as a fan like yes i totally want laura to like in 20 issues show up with a code name and a cool joe costume and then a bunch of customizers make a figure and then in 2026 Hasra makes a figure that'd be great um and i do like the character so i'd like to see her stick around but realistically she would like go into witness protection or like go work for the cia or like maybe we'd see her the way that we saw dr dr burkhart you know she shows up one or two more times in civilian clothes like helping the joes with intelligence do you have any any other thoughts on on laura's turn here um just her her sort of meeting wade in the jungle and he's like he's like very much a sort of old-fashioned kind of dad who's your lady friend in the crimson guard suit (laughs) (laughs) and then she (laughs) yeah yeah uh you can tell me later after you introduce her to your old man it's like um it's like they just started stepping out together or something (laughs) And, and then at the end of that sequence she's just like now I'm really confused. She's like, what, what on earth is going on here? Because, uh, you know, she's none the wiser about, you know, who Sean is versus Snake Eyes. And who this random, like, paramilitary civilian is who's raiding Cobra Island. Like, you know, maybe he's a government contractor. Maybe he's private security. This Hama surely did not insert this. But I am sort of inventing a layer of a meta joke here where when she says, now I'm really confused... Maybe you were just referring to this, right? Storm Shadow says, uh, how's it going, Sean? Great to see you and Wade together, right? And what's happening, the context here is like, okay, two of these three people were together in Vietnam. One of them is is a kid and one of them is sort of another kid. And the two kids have been like artificially in like story time aged up. So we have grownups who were, you know, in their 30s or 40s and grownups who were in their 20s or late 20s. And the meta joke here is Laura is looking at the timeline of G.I. Joe and the crisscrossing Venn diagram and web of relationships. Like here's a former Cobra and he was in Vietnam, but he was a ninja and he was in the army. And there's this other guy who they thought was dead and he tried to kill them and he was a bad guy and he had plastic surgery to look like the other bad guys. And that is not all, that is not in the context of this panel, but I find it in the subtext of this panel. So I, I find that find that funny. Um, and now, um, how do you feel about Wade? Wade, Wade takes a bullet. Mm. Yeah, it'd be a, be, a, be a shame if it was, um, was the end of him. And, you know, as much as, as much as Larry says it's character first, you sort of wonder... Is it that he, you know, he wants a device to to get Laura and Sean off on their own? You know, if it, it feels like maybe maybe there's something that he has in mind, and this is the way to achieve that. Perhaps 
I had two reactions when I saw this this page turn where we we miss it. We don't see Wade get shot. No. It happens while we are paying attention to other scenes. And and in fact, he's not even on the page. Uh, well, he, okay, he's, he's very small two pages earlier where they are exchanging fire. So yeah. we don't literally see it happen, but very close. We just sort of cut back after it has happened. I thought two things. One, Hama has said he's not killing any major characters in 300. I think that's what he said. He may have said, I'm not killing any characters in 300. But... I think there's enough wiggle room there that secondary characters, right, like Laura or Alpha 001, you know, certainly a bunch of Vipers. I hope Jeffrey makes it out. Um, <laughs> so I thought, oh, well, sort of by his own rules, Hama's not going to kill Wade. Oh, he might kill Wade. And I was really struck when Billy died because I thought that Billy would be forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the Hama approach is if you don't want to use a character, you just don't use them. And they're like not active. They're like back home or they're on some military base being in the military, but not being a Joe. Or they're on some mission that we sort of never hear about or know about because there's only the one comic, you know, or the one comic and special missions. And then if you, the writer, decide you want to bring this character back in or Hasbro says, here's a new toy, you got you to gotta bring back Dr. Mindbender or... Maybe someone else is going to be custodian of these characters. That character is available. So, so Billy felt either invincible or like, well, he would sort of get quietly retired. And I have assumed that with Wade. And, you know, let's let's repeat that thing we say every episode, right? Hama very possibly started writing issue 300, not knowing whether Wade would, mm-hmm. how much Wade would be in the issue and if he would make it out of the issue. And... This scene suggests he's not going to make it out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Hard to say. You know, Storm Shadow's there with him. Mm. I'll stay with him. I'll do my best to get him home. And I get going. This this could be the end of the end of what we see of Storm Shadow and and Wade. It could be that Storm Shadow does get get him home, but but we just don't we don't see them for for a while. Who knows? True. I think. Well, when when you say for a while, what do you mean? Because we're definitely <laughs> we're definitely seeing Storm Shadow in the next issue. Mm. I I think Hama wants to put Storm Shadow in the final issue and knows that fans want to see him. Because remember he remember he showed up in the previous issue and it was a surprise. <laughs> but it's always a surprise. That's you know? that's true, and and probably often a surprise to Hama himself. Like, oh, I I, sh- I should put in Storm Shadow here. I I think that the signal here is. Wade's first line of dialogue. I caught a bad one, Sean. And uh, the other thing when I got to this page that I thought was, I wish this was one more page. I got 20 pages or so. I got 20 pages or so. If you like comic books, come and let me know. When we're reading G.I. Joe, you've lost two pages. Yo, Joe, you've lost two pages. Oh, no. If you like comic books, come and let me know. When we're reading G.I. Joe, you lost two pages. Yo, Joe, you've lost two pages. Oh, no. So if you like Joe, come and let me know. We've got 20 pages before I go. 21 pages. 21 pages. In this weird game I play where, you know, if these were like more Marvel issues or if the like economy of the dollar and printing in the 20 teens and the 2020s were what it was in the 80s and 90s and these idw issues were in fact 22 pages not 20 
what additional story would I get for my additional one or two pages? And this time around, I thought, I think this, I think there'd be another page for this scene before this, where they're like a little more pinned down. And maybe we see Wade take the hit. So in that way, I, I, I think I'd be more satisfied. At the same time, it's, you know, like this is supposed to be a surprise and to be unhappy, right? You turn the page. Oh my goodness, Wade took a hit. All right, so now do you want to talk about the uh, the elephant in the back to tank? What, was, what, what metaphor? What, what metaphor were you mixing? Uh, the second to last yeah, page, yeah. the second to last page of this issue, everyone is is it's got five sound effects, but otherwise it's wordless. There's no dialogue, so it's a little unusual in that way. It is it is one, two, three, four, five. It's five panels. You might think it's four. It's five, and uh, it's just it's just a little physical action. So. Mark, what do you what do you think about this final scene and what it means? Well, yeah, so it's it's this sort of clone Snake Eyes. He's having sort of these memories installed in his in his mind with potentially some Doctor Mindbender overwriting to make him more pliant to to his control. Although that doesn't seem to work so well most of the time, so um, I don't know why he would think uh, it would work any better on this guy, but. And so, yeah, he's breaking out the the tank in a scene uh, fairly reminiscent of Genghis Khan breaking out of the of the tank not too long ago, taking a hold of that um, sword. What does it mean? We've got we've now got three versions essentially of Snake Eyes walking around on Cobra Island, and and you know, there's this spectre of will the original Snake Eyes return? There's a couple of there's a couple of kind of things that going through my mind about this whole sort of uh, Snake Eyes clone return thing. There's there's the kind of question mark of like, has my, how long has Mindbend been having this Snake Eyes sitting in a drawer? And if so, why you know why has he been making such a fuss about getting a different Snake Eyes to carry out his his plan instead of just using what he's got? Seems a bit strange because it's been you know it was the big focus of snake hunt and then also the big focus of his scheme to capture snake eyes during during this high stakes arc but putting that aside you know what does this snake eyes represent if if he is a new cloned body using original snake eyes dna does does that mean that underneath all of that he's free of injuries you know he's not he's not had those trauma that that helicopter explosion that cost him his face and his uh, ability to to talk and and also if if this is a uh, snake eyes that was the the sample was taken back in when dr venom had captured snake eyes which is all the way back in the basement of springfield that's all the way back in issue 10 are the, are the memories that they're they're using also from that same time so all the way you know this is the snake eyes commando back from issue 10 and, and does that mean that that he doesn't have the memories of everything that happened since so for example is does he you know does he think that snake uh that storm shadow is still his enemy that betrayed him and um that and killed the hard master um so there might be uh, some strange even if he hasn't been made into a, an evil snake eyes there might be some strange dynamic of having a, a snake eyes that's been plucked from the past uh, my my question for you, and I think you just answered it, but I want to double check. When I read the this 
the scene where Mindbender is explaining to the Techno Viper who this is. And Mindbender says, this is from when Dr. Venom took a DNA sample. So help me out, Mark, here. So this is this is definitely not uh, like a, a sample or a body from either Snake Hunt just 25 issues ago. This is not from the arc. What was it, around 262 when Dr. Venom came back from the dead as like as like well, mem- exactly. memories like he's come back twice hasn't he so so who knows but and, um and this is and and this this wouldn't be from like yearbook three when mindbender had snake eyes this is from like issue 10 well i think they specifically talk about the dna as being um from uh from snake eyes. so let's let's find the wording so so he says uh so jeffrey says you have snake eyes on ice who was that that we just had in the brainwave scanner that was the genuine article. This is the homunculus I cloned from the original DNA that Dr. Venom extracted from Snake Eyes when he was held captive in Springfield. So held captive in Springfield, I think could, if unless I'm forgetting about something, could only be issue 10. However, uh, as, as, I've, as I was thinking about this, the, it might be that a DNA is from an earlier period, you know, taken, taken in, in issue 10. However, the memories that are going into Snake Eyes include issue 36 and issue 21. So going back to my earlier thought that could he think that Storm Shadow is still an enemy, perhaps, that if it if it's 36 post Snake Eyes The Origin, then, um, yeah, the memories must be from a slightly later period when, um, uh, when, when he had reconciled with Storm Shadow. Yeah, I mean, he was he was strapped in the brain scanner in, in issue, issue uh, in issue ten, but also again later on when he was pretending to be Flint, and probably again later on on a couple of other occasions. So, so it must be that that they've got his memories from one of those later occasions. Remind me, Dawn has all of Snake Eyes' memories. Mm-hmm. She got that around two fifty. Uh, I don't have 250 in front of me. Uh, do we know what sort of download of Snake Eyes memories she got? <sighs> I have not read those issues in a little while, so <laughs> it's a bit fuzzy. I'm doing a reread, but I've not got back to that. <laughs> so uh, I'm not 100% sure without, uh, I, uh, without going back. You know, the, uh, one of the things every episode I remind myself that Ama writes each page as he gets to it, and something that I don't as often remind myself, but Hama says is... All of G.I. Joe is a retcon, which is sort of like a sideways way of saying I'm making it up as I go along, right? So let's say there was never a scene where Dr. Venom specifically says, I'm taking Snake Eyes' DNA. We just see Snake Eyes strapped in and Dr. Venom says, I'm looking Mm. into his mind. I'm implanting suggestions, right? And so for Hama to say many issues later... Uh, oh, my! Uh, Dr. Venom got some DNA. That's a retcon. And that's a very mm-hmm. small one. And that doesn't throw us off. And I think part of why we, I think fans sometimes sort of don't like fully believe when Hama says it's all a retcon. Here's an example. Uh, in, uh, what is it? 126, 128. Uh, the reveal that Firefly is the, like the person in the ninja photo. Mm-hmm. The faceless master. 
the thank you, the faceless master, right? In the letters page, an issue two later, Hama says, I've been saving that one for years, mm-hmm. which I have always taken to mean that Hama knew from the beginning that it was Firefly. But now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe what Hama was saying in that letters page is, I have been saving, figuring this out for years. <laughs> Could be, yeah. It's all a retcon, little Tim. I'm making it up as I go. And I, I don't want to be the inflexible reader who like raises a hand at a convention and asks that like nerd question, like um, in issue 43, you had so-and-so saying so-and-so, but then in issue 572, so-and-so contradicts it, right? Like, I don't want to do that because like Hama's not going to remember that like little specific and sort of no writer like wants to get that question and you know half the time it's like you're asking the guy who wrote the cartoon about the comic or vice versa like oh i don't know i, I didn't work on that uh, the the only thing that i am sure of is uh jason merle was right about what um in our last episode we had a guest and he said oh snake eyes is definitely coming back in issue 300 i said no 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 no, no. <laughs> and uh i got to this second to last page and i thought wait a minute that's a snake eyes coming to life in a jar and then i turned the page and i thought oh jason was right um, yeah so uh, you know it 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 certainly you know lots of people have been speculating could you know could we see it sort of the original snake eyes coming back somehow and and certainly this is putting more fuel on that speculation fire uh, i don't know if that <laughs> metaphor works but you know it's it's certainly pushing us more in that direction that that maybe maybe we're going to have a, an original snake eyes back in the frame somehow. Okay. So then I, then I have another, I have another, I don't understand this question. Mark, can you clear it up for me? So on page eight, when the techno viper and Mindbender pull this snake eyes out of the refrigerator mm-hmm. thing, there's a sword. And on the final page of the issue, the sword is leaning against the tank. And in the final panel, for some reason, it's glowing. Uh, um, snake Eye, the the awakened clone Snake Eyes's hand grabs the sword. Mm-hmm. Whose sword is this? Where did this, where did the sword come from? So it's a good question. If, if Mindbender has a homunculus, that I am I getting this right? Mindbender has made this homunculus sort of off-panel behind the scenes. Yeah, at some point that that they've not made completely clear, he's. He's clones this okay. snake eyes. And that, that's fine. That's easy. In the same way that issue half of issue 49 is him starting to clone Serpentor, and there isn't a lot of visual explanation. It's not like, first, I'm going to do the brain, or it's like, you know, two scenes of like, it's one cell, and we cut back. It's divided into 7,000 cells. Now it's a little blob, right? Just like, there's like a, a smooth, naked mannequin guy in issue 49 in the tank and it's like oh that's going to be serpentor in half an issue okay so then then i'm going to come back to the sword thing so when we have seen this lab in the last five or ten issues was was there a part where mindbender was pointing to not just sort of dna but tanks of almost people or have we only seen this one almost person who actually becomes Genghis Khan? i think we've I think there's been other jars, but I think we've only seen one body okay. so far. All right, so let me go back to where did this sword come from? <laughs> did the I know the sword got cloned too? 
Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to your joke from the previous episode that this is a Serpentor cosplay costume because it's on display at like the planet Hollywood, you know, like the theme restaurant that is Cobra Casino. It's, it's not the actual Serpentor costume because the first one, uh, was buried with him. And the second one is like underground under the pit. Uh, so it's, it's a replica for display. So maybe somewhere along the way, uh, Dr. Mindbender being fastidious thought, uh, you know, if I'm going to have a snake eyes, I should give him a sword. And maybe this is not a special sword. Maybe this is just sort of any sword. This is some Night Creeper's extra sword, and it's not purple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just a normal, not special sword until it is. Who has? <laughs> and it will be explained to us. Who has the fancy sword? Is it Morning Light? Does Dawn, uh, does Dawn have that? I, I think Dawn had had them both, didn't she? At one point, there, there are two. Reminds me. Uh, there's. Oof. <laughs> morning light evening shade I okay think. thank you yeah which again was was incredibly important <laughs> until it wasn't <laughs> okay and then this 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 bomb i'm intrigued by this this reveal uh halfway through the issue where mindbender dramatically pulls a sheet off of a device and he reveals it and he says right this way serpentricon it's a mutant zombie virus bomb. And previously, it was very hard to see, but on a door that the Technoviper sees, uh, there's a door labeled with what actually looks like MVD, but I'm going to take that as MVB, mutant virus bomb, mutant zombie virus bomb. Yeah. And it's this big red thing. It looks it looks sort of like uh, looks sort of like the thing that gets launched at the end of um, Star Trek First Contact into space. Uh, a little, okay. little, uh, little rocket staging pod thing and mindbender says when detonated it will turn all living things within a hundred a hundred mile radius into a totally compliant mutant zombies they will be alive and in good health but their brains will be completely open to channeled indoctrination okay so um and then oh ni- nice bit of acting from uh shannon gallant the way that serpentor khan puts his hand on it to sort of like mm-hmm. like pet it but also like reassure himself that it's a real thing you know the way that if you i don't know you walk up into the bank walk up to a fancy bank and you put your hands on the on the marble counter at the teller window okay so i like this that there's this additional threat and it adds a dimension to the stakes of this showdown on cobra island but at the same time i'm worried that there are too many things in play with only one issue left and my my uh, my comparison is uh, the television series Lost, where I was I sort, of, I sort of didn't want to fall in love with it because I had fallen in love with a previous long-running, complicated show, The X Files, and the final episode of that really disappointed me. And I I sort of, without realizing it, made a promise to myself that I wouldn't <laughs> fall in love with the show because after six or ten years, the final episode might be like, well, we didn't know what we were doing, and. In the like third to last episode or the second to last episode of Lost, I'm not giving anything away here, right? You know, there's this island and in the series, they're stuck on the island. But later, some of them get off and like go back and they're like time jumps and it's great. And in the like third to last episode, one of the main characters who has not been able to go back to the island is going back to the island. And he gets on this plane and there are like four other people on the plane who we've never seen on the show. It's new actors cast and in roles for the television series Lost 
two weeks before it ends. And fun fact, the guy who talks the most is the actor who plays Breaker in G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. So I had this, like, I had this doubly like, weird relationship with this actor. And I remember thinking, wait, why is this guy introducing himself? If he's going to die in one scene, then I could see that coming because this guy is just fodder. But otherwise, don't spend any time building up this guy because you've got to wrap up this big series and a lot of character arcs. And so I think this mutant zombie virus bomb is intriguing because there are a bunch of civilians on Cobra Island and maybe a bunch of Joes are showing up or a few will come back. But considering how much time, like 150 issues, Hama has had to use Dr. Mindbender to come up with evil scientist schemes, like he keeps coming back to these same two. Brainwave scanner, like um, hyp- hypnosis, brainwashing, and cloning. It's like, oh wait, now he's he's going to turn everyone into zombies? Which I guess is sort of halfway between hypnosis, brainwashing, and and cloning. Mm-hmm. Um, but is this is this that guy from the second to last episode of Lost? <laughs> yeah. That, thanks for that very succinct <laughs> explanation. And and it's yeah it's interesting it's it's kind of yeah as you say um it's a a channeled indoctrination where it's a, 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 a sort of a a a bomb version of the brainwave scanner so sort of a MacGuffin to try and uh, that that they can use to turn lots of people if they need to and and sort of Genghis Khan's reaction is is interesting it's it's he says. This has possibilities. There are obvious drawbacks, but it makes for a good doomsday device. It's it's almost like he's saying, "Well, maybe we'll use this, maybe we won't, but it'll be a good MacGuffin if we need to in the future." And I think it's very possible that Larry Hama doesn't know if he's going to use it or not until page seven or eighteen of issue three hundred. But it, I think the reason why this throws me off is that all of the civilians as human shields on the the balcony of Cobra Casino. I feel like they already fill this role. Like, okay, the Joes can't attack because there are people in the way. And if these civilians were turned into sort of zombies, and this isn't like rotting flesh zombies, this is just sort of drones. You know, Mindbender could say, go into the jungle and attack anyone who's not a cobra. I feel like it's already hitting the same note as, no, we can't go in and stop cobra because there are people in the way. It's like, no, we can't go in and stop cobra because there are people in the way coming at us. So I am intrigued by it. I'm happy to see something new from Mindbender. The timing of it causes me some worry. But I don't want to make any promises because I know I've I know I have not been keeping promises with my blog, but I, I've been running I've been wanting to write about final issues of comics because there are some comparisons to be made with what 300, what my expectations are going into 300 and then what 300 d- delivers. And um Someone asked me recently, am I sort of sad or or worried about 300? And I said, no, because there's 301. Mm -hmm. Like that takes, that takes the edge off. Let me tell you. Yeah. And it's all, and and Larry's already kind of hinted that, that because, because he knew that 300 wasn't the end, he's treated it much like any other issue, really, that, that he's not wrapping it up, that there's an ongoing story and... Did he really say that, or do you, might you be reading into a vague? It's a bit I... of reading in. Okay, it's a bit of reading in. But um, 
but you know he talked about sort of you know the approach to 155 mothballing things and you know wrapping things up but in a place where someone else could pick up the story again in the future if, if they need you know one to two need to two whereas you know he found out for 300 that it, the story was going to continue essentially and so so he knew that he could leave things you know dangling and and um i'm not too sure if if he was it, when he was talking about the, that there was a, a cliffhanger and he described that i won't i won't say it in just you know to avoid spoilers but um i don't know if he was describing that as being the cliffhanger for 300 or 301 because he called it 301 but essentially either, either it's 300 ending on a cliffhanger or it's 301 ending on a cliffhanger and that being a, a continuation of this same story so 300 is going to be bigger and it's going to be an anniversary and i'm sure there'll be exciting and interesting things happening but it, it may well be that we, we, we won't get anything near the conclusion to this existing story that we would have otherwise expected. I think on balance, that's good and better. I would be intrigued to know if if the timeline went a little differently. If there were no other publisher, if 301 weren't coming, or if 301 were to come like a year from now and, we, and, and Hama wrote 300 as if there was no 301, 300 would have it's it's your your supposition is that it would have a certain finality to it more finality to it and i'm really mm-hmm. interested in, in how that drama feels i also know that i have high expectations and even in a full double sized issue and i don't think it's a full double sized issue right like the you know the math of an idw issue is $4 for 20 pages and 250 was uh was it an extra dollar or two and it was an extra four pages, right? I thought it was double-sized, but I was wrong. It was called oversized. And issue 300 is uh, $6.99. It's an additional $3. So we get an additional three quarters, I think, of 20 pages. So I think this is going to be 15 extra pages. But I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up really being 12. I don't know where I'm going here. I'm very excited. I'm a little sad. (laughs) Uh, I'm very excited. I'm a little sad. I'm a little worried. Uh, I'm also very optimistic. Both for 300, because I'm always optimistic. You know, even if I give an issue on our scale of 10, even if I give it a you know, five or a six, I'm ready for the next issue to um, surprise and thrill me. And I'm, I'm ready to, as, a, as an utterly biased G.I. Joe fan, uh, focus on the positives and um, be disappointed by the negatives, but you know, mostly move on from them. No letters page. <laughs> no letters page. Uh, hey, you know what there is? Instead of a letters page, there is an ad for the 40th anniversary special hardcover, which is twenty nine ninety nine. And the ad, I think, just reuses assets from the ad for the 40th anniversary issue. And it says, plus bonus extras, including a breaking the fourth wall story by Larry Hama himself. And as I have uh, established in a previous Talking Joe, and also my blog. Uh, that story was not published in the 40th anniversary special, and uh, it is not in the 40th anniversary hardcover, and I don't think it exists, which is too bad, because I'd love to read it. Mm, indeed. Um, this was going to be my second error detected, and unusually finding an error detected in the advert at the back of the, ah, okay. uh, the, back of the book. And uh, yeah, like you say, it's, it's advertising bonus extras that doesn't exist and it also uses the wording from that early solicit about the artists that would be in there because it calls out sl gallant 
who didn't contribute a page to the 40th anniversary special. You could, you could, uh, if, if you were a lawyer and you needed to wiggle out of that copy being inaccurate, it doesn't say illustrated by Shannon Gallant. It says <laughs> illustrated in the unique style of Gallant's Diaz Griffith. <laughs> so you could say, you know, it's like that. It's that, it's that kind of comic book art. It's not manga. It's not like Mike Mignola. But yes, yes, I yes, I, w- I would count that as an error detected. I had an, an another sort of overall observation about this, about uh, the Joe team that has actually sort of been assembled as part of this um, squad in the vicinity of Cobra Island. And it feels like it's very much the core Hammer Joes plus a bit extra. Plus long range. Ticking, ticking all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and Ghost Rider. Well, Ghost Rider was was in the previous issue, so you've got the the LLRP sort of squad. You've got Stalker, Snake Eyes, uh, well, yeah, Snake Eyes, <laughs> Storm Shadow, and Wade. Uh, you've got the core characters: Duke, Roblox, Scarlet. You've got classic combo: Rock and Roll and Clutch there in the mix. Uh, you've got some modern focus characters: Dawn and Sean. Also, Jinx, who was a big ninja character in the IDW run. Um, you've got uh, some classic characters just sort of in the mix. Wild Bill, Gung Ho, Cover Girl, Lady J. Uh, yeah, some some favourite sort of sea, sea characters as well, I guess, um, with Cutter and Shipwreck. Um, and Muskrat is a little bit of extra flavour in the pot. And then we've also got a bit of, uh, bit of the new. We've got Helix and Multo there. Uh, but but yeah, in particularly sort of regarding, I guess the the, the core stalker, Snake Eye, Storm Shadow, uh, Duke, Roblox, Scarlet. Uh, I think that you know he's got all of his key favourites in there. I wonder if if there's anyone missing that that would be an obvious choice that that should be in there. The ones that I thought of were Hawk, but he's been very much sidelined in in the last uh, few issues of. G.I. Joe in favour of Duke and, and perhaps Flint um, as a Flint and Lady Day J duo. But um, your thoughts, Tim? Um, not, not on the Joe side. That that's that's the rundown you were just doing. But um, notably absent Destro. Mm. And I don't think dramatically this story needs or wants Destro. Yeah. But uh, if you are putting in, you know, the the ten core characters and uh i mean there's already a good dynamic between uh serpentor khan and mindbender serpentor khan and cobra commander and we we certainly know the dynamic between dr mindbender and cobra commander and to have destro might just be a redundancy because you know he's on cobra commander's side until he's not and vice versa and but maybe can you remind us when we last saw Destro, did he and the Baroness sort of exit the story for a little while? Like things were kind of okay. Is the last time that we saw Destro and the Baroness in the in the story when the end of Snake hunts that that they they sort of helped the Joes escape from from Springfield with their forces? The last time that we've seen them, um, might be. I don't know. So the uh, it was like the the two the late two eighties were those one shots, and and um, 
there was murder by assassination maybe you know i i don't i don't think of snake hunt as two years ago but it was because we we had snake hunt snake hunt and then we had this sort of the, went into untold tales like sort of that set of yeah, one there's, shots there's that largely f- stood alone flashback issue with the baroness and, around issue 34 but that's not what i'm that's yeah that's a flashback and yeah. and then um and then we went into murder by assassination which you know was sort of slightly tangential you know it had all of those new characters being introduced uh and then and then we're you know almost into at the end of that that was there was then spotlights so again sort of slightly you know one shot focused stories and and then we've been into high stakes and all in. Right, this story is actually called Higher Stakes. <laughs> is basically, and then it's highest stakes. So so yeah, I think yeah we haven't we haven't probably seen an awful lot of Destro and the Baroness since since then. So they have been somewhat um, neglected. But that's, uh, I mean, you know, as a fan, I want Destro to show up here. But the story doesn't require him. And, you know, it's not like there's something dangling. You know, it's not like Cobra Casino is right right next to the Silent Castle. Uh, So I am actually satisfied that Destro is here. And for a story that already has a lot of characters in it, it's better that Destro isn't here. And, you know, it's going to be 301 and 302. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe when Destro shows up, then... Um, I, I, a question I have sort of for myself is, will anything subtly change with a new publisher and a new editor working with Hama? Because, you know, I get the sense and maybe we've established this, that the, in terms of story, the editor is pretty hands off Mm -hmm. the whole IDW run, you know, like, I think there's a little bit of back and forth and some, some suggestions, but Hama just sort of writes what he writes, and Tom Waltz is, I think, the third uh, editor, uh, sort of main editor. I'm not counting um, assistant editors. Maybe the fourth on this continued uh, series that started at 156. And I wonder if if a new publisher or Hasro might say to Hama, hey, even though this is the next issue, maybe for a few issues, focus a little bit on this. Mm. Or hey, since we're kind of starting over new, like you can keep some of those plot threads from previously, but how about trotting out a new so-and-so, you know, like a character, location, prop. And uh, so I, I'm i not worried. You know, I'm sure we'll see Destro in the next six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there have been times before where he exits from the story for a little while. Yeah, sure. Um, I had some I Spies I spy with my little eye. So we had the Viper pushing Cobra Commander into the cell, and as he does so, he says, you're lucky there aren't any oubliettes. So uh, an oubliette from the French oublier, meaning to forget, is a bottle dungeon or basement room uh, which is accessible only from a hatch or hole in a high ceiling and is famously the type of prison that Scarlet was held in in issue 21. Hmm. We had... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a... sort. Uh, I've got a couple of 
ice spies which are ice spying to an external source. So uh, S.L. Gallant has been doing a few postings with his pencils from this issue. And one of them was uh, the sequence where Sean takes out all of those vipers. And it was uh, titled Right in the Store, um, which is a reference to kicking uh, a double kick right in the nuts by Sean (laughs) as he takes down two vipers. Uh, in a fairly um what are the what are the what are the sound effects what is uh what's nil yutaki throw in there the 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 sound effect for being kicking two vipers in the nuts is thwam mm-hmm. um the the other one uh that uh shannon posted about was uh the panel of um storm shadow that taking out a bunch of vipers and he referred to storm shadow as Show Kosugi, um, and Show Kosugi is a Japanese martial artist who I expect is probably the visual reference that um, Shannon has been uh, using for this unmasked uh, uh, Storm Shadow. Mm-hmm. And uh, the caption is uh, Am I the only one working here? <laughs> so uh, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow are doing uh, the, the legwork here in terms of taking down all of these cobras. Between uh, between them, <laughs> leaving uh, piles of vipers in their wake, whereas uh, the, um, uh, the the rest of the joes are getting back on the plane and flying away. Uh, you know, since you're uh, since you're referring to a Japanese character and a GI Joe character, this actually calls back a question I had about the cover when we when I was going on and on and on about cover A and all these sort of stick figure cartoon characters that Cobra Commander had drawn. There's one which I guess is, oh, it's Tunnel Rat. Okay, that's it. Um, by Cobra Commander's left thumb, there's a guy with a bandana on his head, which I now realize is Tunnel Rat, because the, the name next to it is uh, Nezumi Otoko. And uh, the internet tells me that uh, that's uh, uh, a, a, a rodent-like uh, character from, from Japanese uh comics okay um sorry so back to back to the inside of the issue i guess i did have an eye spy on on page two uh this one's really sort of indirect serpentor khan points to Cobra commander and says take this has been away and lock him up in a secure cell and um has been has throughout some modern history occasionally been a derogatory aimed at the toy company Hasbro when <laughs> when it has when it has made a mistake. G.I. Joe's off the market in the late 70s and Kenner's doing so well with Star Wars. So, you know, Hasbro is is a has been. So I see that word and I immediately think of this other thing, this, you know, this company in like journalism or you know internet comments as opposed to actual dialogue happening in the scene. Quote of the week, quote of the week. Did you have a favorite line of dialogue? Yeah, page 11, panel one, when uh, <laughs> Color Commander is in this little jail cell with Dawn. Great body language on both of them because he's relaxing and his arms are crossed, uh, excuse me, his legs are crossed and he's leaning his weight onto one arm and she's got her feet up on the edge of the bed and she's hunched forward with her chin on her forearms and her visor up right and he says 
So this is languishing. I can't say I like it. And I I hear this sort of in my internal co commander voice, and then I hear it in in the Chris Lotta voice from the animated cartoon, and then I hear it uh, the way that Larry Hama told us that he <laughs> hears co commander, which is uh, which is Orson Welles. But I, I think that's there's that's such great character work. Because this is, you know, the world's most dangerous man and he's locked up and he's not pacing and he's not plotting. He's he's just waiting and he doesn't like it. Favorite line of dialogue? (laughs) I had one which encapsulated a lot of colloquialisms within it. So it was all the way at the beginning of the issue. uh, Page one, Cobra Commander says... Don't just stand there gawking, you limaceous laggards. Shoot him. And then Serpentor replies, So, would all of you rather follow a puling martinet into battle or a real warrior? So we've got lots of interesting words there. We've got limaceous, which means uh, resembling slugs. Uh, Laggard is a person who makes slow progress, falls behind others. So slow slugs. Uh, is what uh, Cobra Commander is saying. Uh, and then uh, Serpentor replies, a puling martinet, describe uh, Cobra Commander. Puling meaning whining, whimpering, and uh, martinet, a strict disciplinarian, a whimpering disciplinarian. Um, so uh, the martinet comes from Lieutenant Colonel Jean Martinet, a, an ex an inspector general of France's uh, King Louis the Fourteenth Infantry from the late 17th century. As a drill master, Martinet trained his troops to advance into battle in precise linear formations and to fire in volleys only upon command, thus making the most effective use of inaccurate muskets and making the French army at the time one of the best on the continent. Uh, so since then, Martinet has been used synonymously with strict disciplinarian. Um, sometimes at the end, we have a listener's question or listener feedback. Um, I, I had a comment in from Bart Simon on Facebook, uh, just querying uh, that the, the, the least believable thing about this issue is that you can get um, a vamp, a uh, hammer and a Wolverine tank all into a C-130. Uh, is, does, does Bart Simon, um, know this firsthand? Has he, has he worked with or been on oh, the he's, C-130? Yeah, served. So, so yeah, okay. I think he's been in, inside. And, okay. Um, and I did my, my research back to Bart was that it looks like you can fit three, uh, Hummer Jeeps in, in a, uh, in a C-130 and, Basically, you know, in the G.I. Joe world of toys, that that they're generally sort of not scaled quite at the same, the right scale. Like if you've ever seen like the Sky Striker toy up against a more realistically um, scaled Sky Striker to, to um, no, uh, whatever it's the, the, the Tomcat jet that, um, that actually, you know, the Sky Striker, it's, it's a scaled down version. Yeah, so, so in the GI like Joe world, there. it's like the it's like how the first Millennium Falcon is sort of a like a, a a cartooned Millennium Falcon, and then years later they made a bigger, fancier one that's more scaled. You know, it's, it, that spaceship that doesn't exist in real life. 
<laughs> so even like the Wolverine tank, I, I imagine, it, you know, in in the way that the scaling works, isn't a huge amount bigger than a than a uh, than a jeep. I appreciate that Bart Simon's biggest claim for most unrealistic thing in the issue is fitting three vehicles, fitting three basically real vehicles in a real airplane, and not the not the um, ninja zombie homunculus. Who, <laughs> oh, it gets it animated into having not a soul but life. The 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 Doctor Frankenstein scene at the end of the issue. I think I think Bart has has seen a real life C one thirty, and he hasn't seen uh, a real life clone ninja homunculus, <laughs> so he doesn't have that frame of reference. <laughs> okay, um, you know I had a. I'll just say one last thing. I with the green color of the the tank, the the cloning tank. And I don't think it's green back in issue 49. I think it's sort of the white of the paper and light blue, but I could be misremembering. But I'm I'm very slightly recalling two things when I look at this tank where they drop the snake eyes homunculus uh, into it. I'm thinking of the Toxo Lab from, is it 1992? The G.I. Joe action figure playset. Uh, which I think is a little hard to find. I think that was not produced in great quantities. In fact, I'd never seen one in person until like even at a convention until like 10 years ago. Because the, the the actual shape of the thing that you put the water in and that you, the claw drops a Joe into uh, in the story of this action figure plays it. And then the uh, He-Man Masters of the Universe slime pit where ah. a figure is held and this green goo gets poured on on them and uh and so you know if you sort of squint and turn your head sideways right you sort of get these two things in this issue because snake eyes is dropped in this liquid and then the the glass shatters and i know it's i know it's thinner it's like water or like sprite or seven up or mountain dew and not the thick disgusting disgusting mattel slime but as as a visual slightly speaks to those two things for me so all you uh action figure customizers out there if you want to take your very valuable toxo lab <laughs> and like break it into pieces or get some other pieces from something else and make a diorama for dr mindbender's off the kitchen cobra island casino cloning lab i'd like to see it speaking of conventions do you think you're gonna be making it along to assembly required which is weekend of fourth and fifth of November in uh, Iowa. I do think. You do think? Do you know more than, do you do more than think? Well, I was about to make some travel arrangements and then I just realized this morning there's a thing happening in Boston that weekend, which I really want to take part in. So I'm, I'm having a second thought, but um, it would be a nice small convention to dip my toes back into. There are people who will be there who I know and like, who'd be nice to see and it's it's not an international flight right there's there's a connecting flight it's not the easiest thing it's not like the shuttle from you know dc to boston or dc to new york but it's moderately easy to get to uh-huh. so uh, i think that that is uh probably going to be the tomorrow starting um as at the time that this episode drops so we'll find out if uh tim is there or not Dressed in his uh, Genghis Khan cosplay, wearing his 
Talking Joe t-shirt and hat over the, the top I, of it. I think I think you're mistaking me for James Cavanaugh Jr., who I fully <laughs> expect to be on location now wearing on the first day the Viper and pants and vest Genghis Khan <laughs> cosplay. And then on the second day, the Serpentor Genghis Khan cosplay. I will be cosplaying as a British podcaster named Mark. <laughs> I will have a Talking Joe baseball cap, more hair, and what, a Hawaiian shirt? What do you wear? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Very good. I'll just walk around with a microphone. I'll say, hi, hi, it's me, Mark, from Talking Joe. Hey, hey, hey. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll shave. So, Yo Joe, we're not giving this a score. What do you think, Tim? Yo Joe Cola, not grape soda. It's Yo Joe I was sort of thinking of not giving this one because it's a good issue, but I, despite the fact that I've just talked about it for two hours, I, I'm not sure how to. F- like, it's almost over. Mm. And uh, six. Yeah, it's a good point. It's sort of almost it's it's almost like the score for this one might change depending on what happens next issue. Does how how well does it all connect together? But yeah, as a single issue, um I I enjoyed it, motored along, lots of lots of things happening, um and yeah, really excited to see how you know, how this new <laughs> Snake Eyes clone, how that all pans out. You know, what will we see next issue? Um I can't wait. I really can't. Um, so yeah, if I need to give it a score, I'll I'll give it a a seven. Uh, cool. That I think is is us done. We will be back again before too long, talking about the next issue, issue three hundred, which is due to be released on the twenty third of November. Essentially, a month on. Um, so uh, with extra big episode and i'm sure we'll try and fit in some cool things uh for the show to to mark the events so mm. listeners uh this presents an opportunity and a challenge this will be out the day before american thanksgiving which might mean it's you have a couple of days off and it's easier for you to get to a brick and mortar store and buy issue 300 it may also mean it's harder for you because you're already traveling, you're away from the your known brick-and-mortar stores, or uh, perhaps the brick-and-mortar store you go to certainly would be closed on Thursday, November 24th, but uh, maybe would have unusual hours around then because of the holiday. So uh, if you've been just listening and not buying the issues, I think it's time to buy an issue and, uh, and re- <laughs> read along. When when you when we join you in a month, Tim, where can people find you when you're not talking to me or potentially in Iowa? With my creative partners, TV and film essays at uh, our YouTube channel, Atomic Abe Productions, my brick and mortar comic book store in Somerville, Massachusetts. Hub Comics and my G.I. Joe blog, A Real American Book. Very good. If you want to find out about failed Marvel 
spin-off TV series from the 80s, then head on over to, uh, to Tim's video essay website. You can find out about the show in the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has the links to those places. A Facebook group, a Twitter channel. We're on Instagram. We've got a an answer mach- a virtual answer machine as well if you want to leave us a message or question or comment to include on the, the show. We're also on Patreon, so a big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, Justin, Rob, and Brian, who are getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content. Exclusive content like uh, an extra mini episode of me and Tim talking about our Larry Hammer interview. A little bit of a post-match dissection. So good stuff over there. You can, uh, you know, you can also hit me up for little favours like uh, Brian, who I made an exclusive jingle for his YouTube channel, which uh, if I remember to play, I will play here. Brian, a real American Brian. So an advert there for uh, Real American Brian and his uh, his uh, great GI Joe YouTube channel. Get in with these requests for favors soon, listeners, because if Mark gets more and more of them, he's going to start charging. And won't you feel silly <laughs> when you could have gotten a customized, maybe GI Joe themed? jingle from your favorite british podcaster for free yeah for free for free apart from having to pay for the patreon cost mm, yeah. <laughs> not for free. quiet <laughs> so that is us done but remember that nobody beats talking joe an international podcast laters